You're listening to Unabridged, the Christian fiction audiobook podcast. I'm Alana Terry, bringing you engrossing, engaging Christian fiction in bite-sized segments you can take with you on the go. This season's Unabridged Christian fiction audiobook is Identity Theft, a suspense novel full of danger, intrigue, and mistaken identity set in the heart of rural Alaska. Identity Theft is written by me, Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Downey, and sponsored by the award-winning Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense Series, available in unabridged audiobook format exclusively from Audible. Visit alanaterry.com slash unabridged for details. And now, enjoy today's installment of Identity Theft, an Alaskan Refuge Christian Suspense audiobook. Chapter 27 So here we have your identification. Lacey took the card Driscoll handed her and stared at the picture, a close representation of herself on a South Dakota driver's license. Marissa Hummel. Well, it was better than Joe. Her birthday had changed. She was a year and a half older now, 15 pounds heavier. She hoped that wouldn't prove prophetic. She flipped the card around as if there would be more to discover about herself there. Birth certificate. Driscoll passed her the crisp page and Lacey stared at the names of her parents, dates, and cities she had never heard of. She'd have to get used to it. This was her life now. My folks made you a resume. I think you'll find you have a little more to work with than what we gave you last time. Lacey's hands shook just a little as she held up the paper. Right there on top was an associate's degree dated three years ago. She doubted if whoever put it there would realize how vindicated it made her feel. Those community college credits she took in Massachusetts hadn't been completely wasted after all. She scanned her employment history. Marissa Hummel had volunteered at an animal shelter since high school and then worked various retail jobs before moving to nowhere, South Dakota. This would be great if I ever want to work at Petco. Driscoll took a sip of coffee. Good. You've got an interview there next week. Where? At Petco? He strummed his finger on his disposable cup. I figured you could use a break from kids. Lacey took a deep breath. There was a lot to take in. Of course, it was going to feel a little overwhelming, but she could get used to it. She was older now, more mature. There were worse jobs than working at a pet store, right? She'd been reading in Philippians a few nights ago and came across a verse about complaining. Do all things without complaining and disputing. For the first time, Lacey experienced what Carl and Sandy and other Christians talked about, how reading the Bible could reveal your own sinfulness. It wasn't as pleasant or exciting as they all made it sound. She thought back over the years she spent in Glen Allen, how she'd always found something to complain about. The weather, the mosquitoes, the daycare kids— she had grumbled incessantly about Driscoll and the Witness Protection Program, even though they were the ones who kept her alive. She wasn't going to live like that until she withered up and died a bitter old woman. So what if Petco wasn't the future she'd pictured for herself? She couldn't change it. It wouldn't be easy starting over, but she could do it. She hoped. Driscoll handed her the rest of the small file. High school diploma, childhood shots record, Last, he held up an unmarked envelope. What's this? she asked. He cleared his throat. This is something my team and I have decided to leave up to you. 
she wasn't sure she liked the way he was looking at her. Your assailants will be looking for a single woman, so we agreed we had to come up with a different cover. He opened the envelope and handed her a slip of paper. Certificate of divorce? Lacey read. Driscoll nodded. This guy, this Frank Bulgari, you married him right out of high school, divorced him a year and a half later. No contest, no kids, no baggage, just a blip on the radar. Lacey didn't want to touch the page. There was something else Driscoll wasn't telling her. That's option one. His fingers hesitated before he pulled out another form. Here's option two. He passed her the document. A marriage license? Lacey stared at it. What, you're giving me an imaginary husband? I think people will eventually figure out that I'm not living with anybody. That's why we have a gentleman pre-screened and chosen for the job. Lacey was sure she misheard him. Was this his way of making a joke? Pre-screened? He couldn't really think he could take two perfect strangers, bind them together with his forged marriage license, and actually expect them to live together, could he? She reached for the divorce paper. Give me that one. Driscoll chewed on his red coffee stirrer. Before you make up your mind, maybe you want to meet your potential husband. He glanced at the document. A certain Hank Murphy. The name sounded like a 60-year-old plumber, not Lacey's idea of a romantic conquest. Mr. Murphy is a gym teacher at a private Christian school. Baseball, football, you name it, he can coach it. Lacey stared at the forged wedding certificate. So you found this guy who's willing to marry a girl he's never met and... It's not quite that simple, Driscoll interrupted. He's got experience that would allow him to offer certain protective services. And he's on the run too, you see. So in a way, hiding you two together would be a two-for-the-price-of-one deal from our end of things. That's what this was all about? Lightening his paperwork load? I really don't think... Driscoll pulled out one more envelope. Before you make up your mind, take a look at the file we have on him. She rolled her eyes, but did as he requested. Hank Murphy's portfolio was about like hers. Birth certificate, college diploma, driver's license. She pulled out his identification and squinted at the grainy photo. Wait, is that... One corner of Driscoll's lips curled up in an unsettling grin that looked completely out of place and unpracticed on his otherwise expressionless face. I'd like to introduce you to your potential husband, Mr. Hank Murphy. He turned his head and mumbled something into his handheld radio. The front door opened, followed by the pitter-patter of excited, tiny feet rushing down the hall. Daddy says you might be my new mommy. Lacey had already gotten down from her chair and knelt on the ground to catch Madeline, who ran with arms outstretched for a hug. Lacey nuzzled her face in Madeline's hair, surprised by the tear that was sneaking down her cheek. Daddy says the bad men who tried to shoot you are angry with him because he arrested one of their friends. He says we get to move to a whole new state, and if you say so, we can all move together, and you and Daddy will be married, and I'll be your daughter, 
and I'm never allowed to say anything about Alaska because it's a really big secret and we don't want the bad guys finding out where we are. So it's kind of like hide and seek and won't you please marry daddy so we can all be a family? Lacey didn't know what to say. Was this some sort of trick? Driscoll's attempt at humor? She looked up at him, saw him hiding a wide smile behind his coffee cup. Lacey rose to her feet. Curtis stood behind his daughter, looking both shy and hopeful. For the record, he said, I voted against the big surprise entrance. Lacey stared at him, blinked her eyes to make sure all this was really happening. It had to be a dream. He took a step forward. Munchkin and I have to lay low one way or another. He brought his face closer to Lacey's and whispered, We've already gotten two death threats, and I caught an intruder lurking around the daycare. The acid in Lacey's stomach curdled. Someone had gone after Madeline? I called Driscoll, told him what was going on. Said I had to leave anyway, so why couldn't I leave with you? Help keep you safe, and get the munchkin away from all the drama. I guess he thought it was a good idea. Curtis took her hands in his. I don't want to rush anything. If you're not ready, if you need more time to think about it. Outside, a marching band played a slightly off-key rendition of The Stars and Stripes Forever. Curtis shifted his weight and took a small box out of his pocket. But, well, I've already got this ring, and it is the 4th of July. He dropped to one knee and opened the case. Madeline was hanging on his arm, beaming as bright as Alaska's midnight sun. Marissa Hummel, will you be my wife? Madeline let go of her dad to wrap her arms around Lacey's leg. Please, she begged. Lacey didn't know if she was doing more laughing or crying. Yes, she answered. Yes, I will. Curtis slipped on the ring. It was a perfect fit. Madeline bounced up and down, clapping her hands. Goody, goody, goody. Driscoll cleared his throat. We better get down to business if we want to have you three in South Dakota by tonight. More music from the parade floated by. Curtis and Lacey sat down in front of the pile of documents. Driscoll stirred his empty coffee cup. So now that we've settled on that, let's talk about your new life. We hope you have enjoyed our production of Identity Theft, an Alaskan Refuge Christian Suspense, Book One. Written by Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Dowdy. Copyright 2018 by Alana Terry. Production copyright 2019 by Alana Terry.